Today's scripture reading is John 16, verses 16 through 33. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming where I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know what you know. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Well, the last uh, several weeks we have been looking at Jesus' parting words to his disciples uh, before he will be arrested, tried, and put to death. Now, our text this morning uh, contains the final words of Jesus that he will uh, share with his disciples before indeed heading to the, to the cross, which, which is quite amazing to me that in Jesus' final hours before he will be uh, spit upon and, and beaten and, and go through a, a, a unjust trial and be, and be put to death, that rather than spending time kind of inward and thinking and reflecting on his life, he's taking time to spend with his disciples. Not thinking about himself, but thinking about his disciples before his death. You know, the suddenness of death in this sinful world doesn't afford many the opportunity to leave final words with those they love. But Jesus knew his hour. He, he knew the cross was at hand, and so his final night is spent 
serving and encouraging and teaching, instructing and comforting his disciples. I suspect you have noticed over the last couple of weeks as we have been going through this upper room uh, discourse that Jesus had sh has shared some, some tough words with his disciples. And, and the words that he will share with them as he wraps up his time with them uh, will not be any easier. It's been a long day. It has been a long night. And the day was about to get longer. And the night was about to get darker. As has been the case throughout this upper room discourse that Jesus has shared with his disciples, he has been mixing difficult news with some encouraging news. And the final sentiments would be no different. Jesus would share some difficult news with his disciples, but he would follow it up with some encouraging and comforting news. As I read this, as I was reflecting on this text this week, here is what I, I, I kind of boiled down this text to. Here is what Jesus will say to his disciples. In this world, there will be sorrow and tribulation. But in Jesus, sorrow always gives way to joy, and tribulation always gives way to peace. Boil down, boil down in an overarching summary. This is the message Jesus will leave with his disciples, and it is the message that I believe he leaves with us as we seek to navigate this world. You know, most people do not like to be surprised, or better yet, uh, caught off guard, right? They want to know what to expect so they can prepare or, or brace for what they are about to encounter. Well, to be honest, nothing, nothing could prepare the disciples for what they were about to uh, in, encounter. But Jesus wasn't going to leave them in the dark. He was assuring them, as was said last week, of the trouble that was coming. But he was also going to promise to them triumph, triumph. So he begins his concluding remarks by telling his disciples that sorrow, that sorrow was coming and, and that the sorrow they were going to be experience, that they were going to experience would be a result of them no longer being able to see Jesus. They wouldn't see him any longer. He was going away. That is how our text begins. He says, in a little while, in verse 16, uh, you will see me no longer. Jesus we know, was speaking about his death. And it is probably safe to say that the disciples knew that as well. But, but they, they were thrown for a loop. They were, they were a little confused by the statement Jesus gives to them based upon the second half of that statement that he makes. Verse 16, a little while and you will see me no longer and then Jesus says, and again a little while, and you will see me. <laughs> we know it threw him for a loop, 
Because John tells us it did. In, in verse 18, he says, So they were saying amongst themselves, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. They, they, they were confused by Jesus' statements to them, which wasn't new. This was par for the course. The disciples seemed to always be confused by what Jesus was saying to them. But one thing is, I think that they, we can say that they were clear on the fact that, that Jesus was going away. They, they understood that part, right, because he had told them earlier in the night that he was going away to prepare a place for them. But they did not understand this phrase that he, he left with them in a little while. What did, the, what did this in a, in a little while, what did it mean? And I was reminded recently that informal designations of time can be a little confusing. <laughs> for, for instance, if someone asks for your help and, and you respond, it might take a minute. <laughs> it might take a minute. Now, to the literalist, they, they hear that and they say, oh, that'll be quick. I, I can help them out. That'll be quick. But the person who is using it like a figure of speech means it's going to take a minute. <laughs> it's going to take a while. Figures of speech can be confusing. And so we, can, we should sympathize with the disciples. What, what did Jesus mean? What did he mean here? They, they knew they would see him again, but, but when? When would they see him again? The language, a little while, seems to have caught them off, off guard. Was Jesus talking about a future, future, we will see you again? Or was this a, a near future encounter that they were going to have with him? The answer I believe Jesus gives them is yes. Yes, for he repeats the statement again, in a little while I will see you, and in a little while I'm gone, and in a little while I will see you again. I believe Jesus was speaking both about a soon return and a future return. And the reason why he is talking about a, a soon return and a future return is because Jesus was speaking about his resurrection which would make possible both a soon return and a future return. Jesus, throughout his ministry, had the cross on his mind. But it, it was not simply the cross that drove him. It was the resurrection, right? We, we have learned that time and time again throughout this sermon series. As Pastor Tony said, the resurrection was the reason, right? It, is, it, it was the reason for everything that Jesus did, and it is the reason behind every purpose and plan and circumstance of our lives. And so again, and so again, the resurrection takes center stage in our text in the final words that Jesus is going to leave with his disciples. The, the theme, the undergirding thread through it all is the resurrection of Jesus. In a little while, Jesus tells them, you will, you, you, you will see me again. He, of course, was speaking about the resurrection this was, this was the plan from the beginning. 
that Jesus was going to be put to death, but that he would be raised from the dead, and therefore the disciples, because he would be raised from the dead, would then see him, be able to see him again in a little while. Jesus had said it multiple times throughout his ministry, right? In John 2 and 19, he said to those uh, there, the Pharisees, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. He, he was speaking about the resurrection. In Matthew 19 and 40, when he references Jonah, he says, in, uh, for just as Jonah was, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be there, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Again, Jesus speaking about his resurrection. This, this was not new to them. He had said it over and over again. He had been telling them he was going to die, but that he was going to be raised from the dead. He told them several places. But to be fair, to be fair to the disciples, Jesus had done so in figures of speech. Right? Jonah, the temple, those are figures of speech. So they, they didn't clearly understand or perceive what he was saying. And, and this is true of much of Jesus' teaching. He communicated in figures of speech. And he says so in John 16, 25. He tells them this, that, that, that night. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. But the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about uh, the Father. The disciples were struggling to understand Jesus because he was veiling his message to them, but, but it would soon, it was soon all going to make sense to them. It was going to become clear. He, he, could, he could speak plainly for all would be revealed. And what would make it clear? The resurrection. The resurrection would make it clear. And so not only after he was raised from the dead, not only would it make what he was saying, the figures of speech, would it make it clear, so too would their sorrow be cleared up. Their sorrow would be cleared up. John 16 and 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will lament and weep, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. In a little while, the disciples, in hours, he's speaking about hours now. In a little while, the disciples' whole world was going to be filled with sorrow, with confusion, with pain, and with disappointment. Sin was about to have its way. That bruise to the heel of the seed of the woman that God talked about in Genesis 3 and 15 was about to inflict its greatest blow. It would grip the hearts. It would grip the hearts. Sorrow would grip the hearts of the disciples. Sorrow that would be on level 10. To make matters worse, 
Jesus tells them that what they were going to be sorrowful about, Jesus going away, being put to death, the world was going to rejoice and celebrate over. They, the disciples, would lose a friend, but the world would lose what they considered an enemy, and they would celebrate it. They would celebrate like, like they won. This is the world that rejoices in wrongdoing. The enemy celebrates when sin run, runs rampant, and the world celebrated that Jesus had been put to death. And the disciples would have been sorrowful. Brothers and sisters, I wish the sorrow that Jesus talks about here was only the sorrow that disciples, the disciples would feel in this world. But we know that not to be true. To live in this world is to be full of sorrow. I, I, I know there are the family members of 70 plus who are sorrowful this morning after the storms that hit Kentucky this weekend. Sorrow in this world is real because the sin that put Jesus on the cross still runs rampant. And it has marred the image of God and people. It has infected creation. And because of that, sorrow fills the hearts of God's people. Seems like every day. And let's be honest. Can we be honest like the psalmist in, in Psalm 73? In the midst of sorrow, it seems like the enemy is winning. Seems like they are rejoicing in their folly, in their sin. It seems like they are winning and they are rejoicing and they are rubbing it in. But here is what I love about the resurrection. Do you see? It only seems like the world is winning, but the resurrection always has the final say. You ever, you ever see those, those videos? You ever see those videos of people running a race, right? And they, they're getting to the end, to the finish line, and they, and they think that they are winning. And so they begin to celebrate. They begin, they begin to raise their hands. But unbeknownst to them, the person that they are beating are, is right on their heels, and because they took time to celebrate and to rejoice, the person behind them actually passes them and wins the race. You see, you see, huh? in the world, it seemed, when, when Jesus went to the cross, the world, the world thought that they were winning. And so they began to, to rejoice and to celebrate when Jesus was on the cross and when he was put to death, but they did not realize that the resurrection was right on the heels of the cross. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he shouted, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? 
That's the joy. Jesus told the disciples that they would be sorrowful, but that sorrow was going to turn into joy. Why joy? What would they be joyful about? They would be joyful because they were going to see Jesus again. Again, not just in eternity, not just in the spirit, but, but in a little while they would see him in the flesh, right there, standing before them. And it would be the resurrection that would make that possible. And so here's the takeaway. Because Jesus got up out of the grave for the Christian. The promise is that every sorrow will eventually turn into joy. Every sorrow will eventually turn into joy, and we will see him again in a little while. That's the promise, that we will be in the presence of our Savior. We will see him face to face. Joy produced. And guess what? This is not wishful thinking. This is not wishful thinking. No, the joy that will replace your sorrow is as sure as the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Do you believe that, that Jesus was raised from the dead? Do you believe that? Do you affirm that as a Christian this morning? Then believe that no matter how dark the night, joy is coming in the morning. That is a guaranteed fact. Guaranteed is Jesus getting out of the grave. Jesus promised to his, to the disciples of joy after sorrow was based in the fact that they would see him again in a little while. Their sorrow would melt away at the sight of them. The sight of him, their, their sorrow would be, would be gone. And we have that told to us. In the text, as we look back and we look at John 20 and 20, when Jesus appeared to his disciples and, and they, 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 were, they were shocked, it says, when, they, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad, glad when they saw the Lord. His promise to them was realized. Their sorrow was turned to joy because Jesus got out of the grave and they saw him. Oh, the, this promise of sorrow turned into joy, you do understand, is for us as well. It wasn't just for the disciples. Our sorrow in this world is real, and at times it can be so intense that it is debilitating. But because Jesus got out of the grave. That sorrow is going to come to an end and be turned and will be turned into joy. I can guarantee it. Jesus said it. And to paint a picture for them, he says, ask a mother who has given birth. I, I don't know it by, uh, ex like, like, I didn't experience it, right? <laughs> But I'm sure there are some mothers in here that can testify this morning. I, I know it by proximity three times over. I saw pain and I saw sorrow. 
as my wife there gave birth. But I also saw the tears of joy and the smile as she beheld our children. Oh, just like that, sorrow, Jesus says. Sorrow will be turned into joy. Sorrow for a little while, but joy in the end. Look at the, the picture Jeremiah paints in Jeremiah 31, 13. Then shall the young woman rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Is that not a glorious picture? picture? Sorrow turns into joy. But, but notice that in Jesus, that joy is everlasting. It's everlasting, John 16 and 22. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Do, do you see the contrast there? Uh, sorrow for a little while, but, but joy everlasting. No one will be able to take your joy from you. Listen, your joy, if, if your joy is found in Jesus, then that joy won't ever change. Because guess what? Jesus doesn't change. Your circumstances and your situations change. Therefore, your joy fluctuates as well. But with Jesus, if your joy is found in him, he never changes. He never changes. And that joy, that joy can't be taken because Jesus isn't going anywhere. He is always there. When Jesus rose on that third day, he secured everlasting joy for all those who would trust in him. Joy, it will. It will. I know it doesn't feel like it. I know, I know you're, you're wondering. I mean, I, you don't, you don't experience, you're experiencing sorrow now, and you're like, I can't even see or understand that there will be joy that will come out of this. But joy, it will outlast any sorrow that attends your soul in this world because in the presence of Jesus, there is joy. Oh, he says in John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Oh, sorrow turned into joy. And know that that joy that is everlasting is also full. It's full. It's full. The resurrection not only secures for us joy in Jesus, it, it also secures for us peace, peace in Jesus. You know, Jesus has not been shy about letting the disciples know that the days ahead were going to be filled, were going to be filled with trouble. He told, he told them the world was going to hate them. You, you remember that? He told them that earlier. He told them they were going to be persecuted, and he told them that while they would be weeping and lamenting, the world would be rejoicing. 
He promised this to them. In other words, Jesus had promised them over and over again that for the rest of their lives, they would be swimming upstream. That while they were on the narrow path that leads to life everlasting, there would be people that hurl insults, darts, and all sorts of other tactics to make their lives difficult. Jesus had warned them over and over again. They knew what was coming. They knew what was coming. I'm sure if Jesus had given them a pop quiz about what he had taught them, they would have passed with flying colors. They knew. They had heard Jesus teach over and over again that trouble was coming. So this was not new information to them. They believed it. They understood it. But how many of us know it is one thing to be told something is coming, and it's another thing to experience it? Recently, we had a fall festival, and somebody had a brilliant idea that we should do a dunk tank, right? 50-degree weather outside, oh, I know, let's do a dunk tank, right? And, and, and to add to that idea, they said, well, why don't we have the pastors sit in the dunk tank, right? Brilliant idea. <laughs> so Pastor Tony gets up first. He's the one, he's in the dunk tank, and he goes under the water, and he experiences it. Now, I knew I was coming up in a, in a little bit, so he was giving me some pointers. And, and then Brother Simpson went in in the dunk tank, and he went in. And so they kept on telling me, look, when, it hits, when the ball hits the target, it's quick, right? You, you, you're not even going to be expecting it. And that water is cold. Now, I knew if somebody would ask me, hey, do you know if the water's cold? I would have said, yes, I've been told that the water is cold. But then it was my turn to sit in the dunk tank. And no matter how much I thought I knew about how cold that water was and how quick I was going to go under that water, I was not ready when that ball hit that target and I went in that water. It's one thing to be told about something. It's another thing to experience it. Jesus was seeking to encourage them because even though they knew the tribulation was coming, when the moment hit, when the times of difficulty showed up, he knew they were going to fail. The heat of the moment was going to be too much. <laughs> the disciples according to John, began to grasp what Jesus had been telling them. He began to, they, 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 they knew, they, they said, they, they began to, in fact, smell themselves a little bit. They thought they were doing something. John 16, 29, his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Now we believe you, you, they say. Now we understand all that you've been talking about. We are going to be fine when the heat comes. We believe you. Perhaps they were influenced by Peter's boldness when, when Peter said to the Lord, I will never leave you, Lord. I will never forsake you. Jesus says, oh, is that right? Is that right? John 16, 
In 31 and 32, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus says, oh, you're, you're talking all tough now. <laughs> We're in a room, and you're saying that, 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 that you believe and you understand. But what you believe doesn't really prove itself until it is tested. And you are about to be put through the fire, brothers. You are about to go through it, and you are not going to be able to stand the heat. You are going to abandon me. You are going to leave me. You are going to scatter. Before they could even respond or start feeling sorry for Jesus, he reminds them he is not alone, right? He says, I'm not alone. He and the Father are one. The Father is with him. Therefore, in his darkest moment, he would be thinking about them. He would be for them even while they were not for him. No, brothers and sisters, persecution and tribulation was real for the disciples. Perhaps, perhaps one day, the, this persecution will be real for us. We, we have not experienced this in this country, but, but we might. Oh, let's not think that in that moment we will have the fortitude or the strength in ourselves to stand for Jesus in that situation. We do not know how we'll, we will react. The truth is, truth is that many of us may abandon Jesus just like the disciples did. Which makes what Jesus says next so comforting and so encouraging. Just like Jesus praying for Peter that he would, would turn after he fell, Jesus gives a word of comfort to the rest of the disciples. Listen to the words in, in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace you may have peace. Jesus doesn't tell them that they will be persecuted or that they will abandon him to cause them to fear or to have stress. The tribulation his disciples would experience, the tribulation of living in a sinful world that we experience are, is meant to drive us to Jesus. It was meant to drive them to Jesus as their only hope in this world for peace. He desires us to navigate. Jesus desires us. He desired his, desired his disciples to navigate the world and the tribulation with peace, in peace. He said these things so that in him you may have peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding and calms your anxious heart. The peace, the peace that attendeth your soul when sorrows like sea billows roll. The peace that comes from lying by green pastures and lying beside still waters. That is the peace 
Jesus desires for his followers. You say, you say, well, how is that even, how is that possible? Tribulation, you mean to tell me that tribulation, a, a troubled situation is going to be, going to be turned in, into peace and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and that, my, that my sorrow is going to be turned into joy? Well, to answer that, Jesus leaves them perhaps with some of the most encouraging words in all of the Scriptures. Look at John, at the end of John 16, 33. In the world, you will have tribulation. It's, you're going to have trouble, Jesus says. It's coming. Do not, do not be surprised when tribulation comes. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I mean, every time I read that, my heart, I mean, it just leaps because I hear Jesus comforting, comforting his disciples, comforting them. He says, listen, 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 you don't, here it is, the disciples didn't have to. And you and I don't have to fear the trouble of this world. Because the reason why is because we are with Jesus and the world, you do understand, has no hold on him. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. When he got out of the grave, the world, the flesh, and the devil were defeated. And all those in Jesus have victory. All those in Jesus, all those who belong to Jesus have victory. Yes, yes, even those who left Jesus alone when the heat got too much. Because when you belong to Jesus, you belong to Jesus. Yes, we who are faithless, yes, we may be faithless, but he who is faithful remains faithful. Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome our doubt. He's overcome our fear. He has overcome your sin. So take heart. Trust in him. Jesus has overcome the world. Because Jesus got out of the grave, you can be assured that your sorrow, your sorrow, your pain, your angst will turn into joy and your tribulation, your trouble will turn into peace. Jesus has overcome the world. Let's pray.